didn't react very well. He was like, uh, man, I'll, I'll talk to the you know executive of the school, but I've got to rake the bunkers tomorrow, so I, I need to go. And he acted like he didn't care. I'm thinking, man, I, I've woken up at 5 a.m. for the past two years for you in this program, and I've worked super hard, busted my butt, and you're going to tell me you got to rake the bunkers tomorrow. So I never received a call back until uh, about a day, day and a half later, and it was very short. He said, uh, Luke, we're going to keep it nice and simple. We've done our investigation. We're going to dismiss you from the team. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. After two seasons of collegiate golf, Luke was dismissed from the team. This resulted of a bizarre event that he'd been falsely arrested through an altercation during a golf outing. What is this all about? Well, today we have Luke Smith here in the studio. Luke, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Welcome to Bot Radio Network. Yes, thank you for having me. We just met moments ago, and I don't know a whole lot about your story. I have to confess, Luke, I'm not really a golfer. I've tried. I want to be a great golfer, like many guys do. Yes, I need to spend more time practicing, of course. Mostly, I have three sons. When we go play golf, it's just like, let's have some fun. You're a little more serious than I was, but looking forward to hearing more of your story. Do you recall that first time that you played golf, the very first time? Yeah, I was eight, nine years old. Okay. I went out with my father. Uh, I just quit the baseball team because I wanted to hit the ball every time. <laughs> and he was actually the coach. Uh, so I quit and changed changed sports. And uh, after I played the first time, that's it's all she wrote. Well, and I was wondering, is that how soon the addiction set in? Yeah, it, it was. It didn't take long. It, it didn't it, take it, long. It I fell in, your, in love with got it. Got in your blood. Yeah. Did you grow up here in the Memphis area? Covington. Covington area. Covington. Okay, so tell me about family life. I love the Covington community. It's a great community. Yes. Tell me about life growing up. Yeah, so I went to Tipton Rosemark Academy up until my sophomore year. My wife graduated from that school. Did she? Yeah. And then I transferred my sophomore year to Covington High School, and that's where I graduated from. So I played played basketball, played golf, and I trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm actually a blue belt in that martial art. Eric Ingram is a friend of mine. I don't know if you know Eric or not. He is a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's won a couple of world-class titles, and yeah. he has a studio here. I have to introduce you two together, but Eric's been on his show before. Ingram's martial arts, right? Exactly, yeah. yes. I trained with him one time. Oh, did you? Okay, yes. yeah. Great family, great great guy. I've known them for, since he was a baby, but, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. He's a great guy. Um, you were named Best of the Preps by the Memphis Commercial Appeal in high school for Shelby County Metro. Tennessee Sports Writers Association All-State Honoree and a four-time TSSAA State Championship qualifier, finishing in the top five twice in that event. How were you feeling about your life at that time as a young man? I was feeling very good, very <laughs> confident. Uh, I would even go as far to say that I was very prideful, uh, arrogant, um, even sometimes selfish. You know, Life was all about me and my success. And after my eighth grade year, I'd gotten third place in the state tournament. I got letters from Alabama and several other schools, and my focus really actually came off of Christ. Uh, so it was a good, but also a, a cold time. And then all that changed once I got later into high school and college. When in your life did the dots connect of what Jesus Christ did for you by dying on a cross and raising from the dead? Yeah, when I was 14 years old, I went to a Ken Freeman uh, conference in Brighton, Tennessee, and I felt the Holy Spirit just come upon me, and that's when my life really, really changed. I was I was lost. I grew up in a Christian family, 
But when I encountered Jesus at 14, that's when everything changed. And I, I started realizing that, hey, life's not about me, it's about him. And that actually changed my perspective in every aspect of life, including golf. And that's kind of where my dream of having a platform of professional golf began, yeah. to use that platform for his glory. So the dream of professional PGA Tour golfer was always kind of in the back of your mind? Yes. You competed as an individual in two tournaments for UT Martin after playing five tournaments as a freshman. Did you go to UT on a scholarship? I did. I received a scholarship to UT Martin. That was a pretty exciting time for your family. It was. It was. Yeah, I was uh, I was recruited by MTSU, Memphis, and UT Martin, and uh, the decision was obvious. I prayed about it, and the Lord led me to UT Martin. Uh, it was very exciting. Tell me, Luke, something about the Corn Ferry Tour, what it is, because uh, I don't know much about it. I'm not, I said I'm not a golfer. What it is and who gets to play in it? The Corn Ferry Tour is almost like a minor leagues in professional baseball. It is the step below the PGA Tour. And I actually had played in a Monday qualifier this past summer on June 14th um, to attempt to play in a professional event just to see how the pros approach the game, their shot selection, etc. So it is, it is, the Corn Ferry is a step down, but it's still a very elite tour. In June of 2021, as a sophomore at UT Martin, you were playing Sand Creek Station Golf Course in Newton, Kansas, attempting to qualify for the Corn Ferry Tour, Wichita Open. Take us back to that day from the time you woke up until you teed off the first hole. It actually started the day before, June 13th, during the practice round. Me and my father had arrived, and he was going to caddy for me on Monday. And we got there. We got a yardage book for the course with all the statistics and the yardages, etc. And a man named Derek Fribbs actually came up to me in the pro shop, and he said, hey, uh, aren't those illegal? And I said, well, no, the professional at the course said that I could use them as long as I don't use this hole and this hole. It was kind of an outdated version. And it was a very rude conversation, kind of very uh, a lot of confrontation. It was just kind of odd. And um, just so happens to be that I was paired with that same guy the next day. It was a weird atmosphere. I could feel uh, some evil. I really could. It was very spiritual. It was a yeah. lot of tug of war. So are you randomly placed with other players on the team? You don't know who's going to be on You your- don't know. You don't know. So um, so woke up. Uh, everything was good and went to the course. I was paired with Austin Daly from California and that same guy, Derek Frizz from Colorado. And both of them had played Division One golf. They were in their 30s, 30, I was, 31 I noticed that, that he was 31. And, of course, at that time you were 20. Right. Yes. Yes. So uh, it was just us three. It was a threesome. Everything was everything was good at first. We played the first couple holes. Uh, both guys seemed, you know, like nice guys, and we uh, we played seven holes. And in those seven holes, Austin and Derek were playing pretty poorly. I was playing pretty good. Me and my father were having a good time. Now, did these other golfers at that time did they have caddies with them too? They did not. Okay, they did not. Yeah, it's optional. They had they had their push carts that they used, and my father was carrying my bag, and we were enjoying a good time. So, in those first seven holes, both guys, you know, at in Kansas, this course had a lot of fescue grass on both sides. So if you hit it in the fescue, it's a lost ball. So they had to hit several provisionals, um, and we had gotten to the the seventh hole, par three, and I'd hit my ball in the green. And Allstick and Derek were in the high grass, of course, and they 
Austin actually came up onto the green and confronted me and said, hey, if you and your daddy would give equal effort looking for our golf balls in the high grass, maybe we wouldn't be so far behind. And I was kind of taken aback. I'm thinking, man, this is a this is a professional event. They're asking you to help them find their lost balls. Right. Okay. Right. And what people don't know is on the second hole, I actually found Derek's ball, and I saved him two penalty strokes. But no one talks about that. So, um, I you know, I was playing pretty well. Nothing was said until we reached that seventh green. And then after Daly said those words, um, I just – I didn't know how to respond, so we walked off the green. I told my father, who was you know, on the next hole, what Daly said and the tone in which he said it. And meanwhile, uh, Austin began walking off the green with his putter in his hand. And usually after you putt, you put your putter back in the back. Uh, but he was gripping it, and you could tell he was obviously angry. And he walked up to my father, and my father Oliver said, Hey, we're, I'm Luke's caddy. I work for you. You know, we're not here to look for your golf balls. If you want to play faster, just hit it straighter. And then instantly he bumped my dad and said, F you, you're an effing caddy. And he got my dad's face. And then he got my face and he was staring me down as we were walking up to the AT box. So in my position, I, I felt threatened. It was a very hostile individual. I didn't know what his intentions were. He just bumped my dad. He's got his putter shaking my putter, his putter at my dad. He just cussed him out. So I took my right arm and I pushed him away. I said, get off of me. And then immediately he tried to wrap up my legs and tackle me. So I reacted using the skills I've learned in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to restrain Daly without hurting him. No punches were thrown. Um, after he went for my legs, I rolled him over and put him in a body triangle and a seatbelt grip. Never hit him, nothing. And I held him there until he calmed down. A submission hold to, right. get, to get him to calm down. Right. Yeah. Yes, sir. And. The craziest part of the story, and this is something they teach us in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is how to communicate. And Daly was obviously angry, screaming, you know, very vulgar, a lot of language. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, if you want to get up, you're going to have to call me uncle. And he was, ah. And I said, you're going to have to call me uncle. And meanwhile, my father walked up and removed his putter, Daly's putter, from under me so he couldn't strike me with it. Kind of went back and forth, and then finally, Daly said, Uncle, and I let him up. While this all was going on, from my father's perspective, Derek kept running up repeatedly trying to pull my head, trying to pull me off and trying to break it up. So my father had motioned him to get back, and most of the stories on the Internet say that he was swinging a putter, which is not true at all. Yeah, the New York Post to ESPN, I mean, media outlets, this thing went viral. Right. And you were arrested. Yes, yes. So after after he said uncle, everything had calmed down, and my father pretty much lectured both of them and said, hey, guys, what do you think you're doing? You know, you can't talk to like this to people you don't know. Um, I mean, where do you guys, where, where is this coming from? You know, we, wow. we didn't deserve this. And so I clapped my hands. I said, okay, let's play. So we went back to the AT box and actually teed off. And if it wasn't for the people behind us who seen the end of the altercation, we probably would have finished the round. So we teed off and then here come the officials and we start walking down the fairway and Austin and Derek had buddied up, of course, in the high grass the past seven holes and they were both against me. So they ran down the fairway and got to the officials first. And once me and my father got there, they asked me, 
uh, what happened. And we told him briefly kind of what happened. And, and the, the head professional at the course asked, guys, do we really want to do this? Do we really want to get the cops involved? No one's hurt. Do we really want to do this? You know, we could finish. Austin said, absolutely. I was assaulted. He was punching me. So that was when the lies began and Derek supported him. I mean, you were arrested on one count of misdemeanor battery. Luke, I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So as I mentioned, all the media outlets, I mean, this gravely damaged your reputation that you had worked very hard on to get where you were. Right. And we had gotten back to the clubhouse and the officers interviewed me and told my story. Um, Father told a separate story. They did their investigation and um, they arrested me. The officer looked at me, said, hey, Luke, you know, if it was my dad, I would have done the same thing. But unfortunately, we have to arrest you because he wants to press charges. So as they uh, were arresting me, we were walking back to the cop car and Daly walked out of the clubhouse and screamed, I hope you have a good attorney partner. Very rude. And the female officer, um, she said she was going to give him a uh, disorderly conduct. Turns out she didn't. And as I was getting in the cop car, he put the handcuffs on me extremely tight. I mean, I don't, I've never been handcuffed. I didn't know if that was normal. But I remember sitting in the back of the cop car uh, just thinking, man, how in the world did I get in this position? And I just sat there. I'm thinking, what is my mother going to think? You know, what's going to happen? And then it hit me. And I realized in that moment that I was sharing just a tiny bit of the sufferings of Christ so I can relate to what he went through, just a very hint of it. It was it was bizarre, but I, I actually, uh, we, we made it to the detention center. The head officer in there said, hey, w- what are you doing here, man? You know, they had mugshot of me, got my fingerprint, and I told him what happened. He said, man, I don't know why you're here. He said, take this piece of paper, this ticket, and put it on your in your dorm room, frame it, so you can brag to your buddies and teammates that you restrained a bully at the golf course. So I was in and out 20, 25 minutes, and then we started our 10, 10 hour drive home. Oh my, Luke, what did you sense God was teaching you? Did you draw closer to him or did he seem distant from you at that time? At that time, I felt, I felt alone. I, I didn't feel anything. I was, I was very lonely. I was kind of in shock, really. Uh, but when we started that 10 hour drive home, that's when the Holy Spirit started speaking to us. Uh, there were several messages we received. There was a uh, 18-wheeler drove by with Psalms 91 on the back. We saw a cross, and uh, it was just it was unbelievable. How did your dad encourage you? Did he have any words to say to you during that time? I can't imagine because, I mean, he was in the middle of all this. Yeah, he said, I'm proud of you, son. Wow. He said, I love you. Wow. And I said, I love you too, Dad. You know, I honored my father. I defended him, and I defended myself. And, you know, in this world, especially as Christians— we're going to be falsely accused, mocked, and betrayed because Jesus was. And I realized, you know what? I would rather be mocked and betrayed in this world than to be comfortable and liked. And that's when that's when things started happening. I started my perspective started changing from what reputation is versus character. And when I got that was when I received a text from a friend during the ten hour drive home, and he had texted me the previous day and said, "Hey, knock their socks off." And he had texted me on the way home and said, hey, man, I didn't mean literally knock their <laughs> socks off. It was it was an article he sent me. Some I didn't know the site, um, and it was just some type of small fire pit collective, something like that. And it was just some salacious, juicy you know, story, completely inaccurate. And F- Derek had actually called, apparently, after the round and uh, had and created this big story, and then it caught fire. 
and I, I realized you know, my reputation was just very stained throughout the, the next few days. You lost your position on the golf team. Yes, within 48 hours. Uh, see, I actually called my coach on the way home, and uh, he he didn't react very well. He was like, uh, man, I'll, I'll talk to the you know executives of the school, but I've got to rake the bunkers tomorrow, so I, I need to go. And he acted like he didn't care. I'm thinking, man, I, I've woken up at 5 a.m. for the past two years for you in this program, and I've worked super hard busting my butt and you're going to tell me you got to rake the bunkers tomorrow so i never received a call back until uh about a day day and a half later and it was very short he said uh, luke we're going to keep it nice and simple we've done our investigation we're going to dismiss you from the team and that was it hung up and i at that time i was with my father and my family attorney in covington and i was just i was shocked i was i was truly shocked so um Yes, dismissed in less than 48 hours before that, I could unpack my bag. Also impacting your scholarship. Yes, scholarship was gone. Everything was gone. Um, no more no more college golf. Luke, you stated that despite the waves, you chose to place your eyes on Jesus Christ. Amid the storm, he comforted, protected, and restored. How's he done that for you, Luke? Well, I realized uh, reputation's selfish. It's about me and you. But character is what God knows about you. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter if I'm liked or disliked by man, but what matters is is what God knows about me and how he feels about who I am. You know, do I reflect Jesus? Am I in the hands and feet of his son? That's really what matters. I remember I'd came home, it was like in the same week all this happened. I went up to my room and I was just again in shock. I laid flat face down on the floor and God revealed to me just I had a vision of Peter walking on water. I went to Matthew chapter 14. I read it four, five, six times. And I realized what would help me, what my answer is, is to fix my eyes on Christ. And if I fix my eyes on Jesus like Peter did, I can walk above the pain, the doubt, the insecurities, the comments from thousands, hundreds of thousands of people attacking me and my family. But if I fix my eyes on Christ, I can rise above it all. I can walk above all, all of it. Christ is our advocate What's been the aftermath? I mean, these charges, I mean, are they still pending right. or where are we at here? So I was charged but never convicted. Uh, and in fact, so my attorney we hired in Kansas, he just kept pleading with the district attorney to dismiss it. And the district attorney said, no, because it got viral, we need to show that Newton, Kansas is tough. I'm not going to give Luke a dismissal, but he can take diversion. So that's what we did. Um, it was a class B misdemeanor for rude contact rude contact and uh despite you know no one getting hurt uh, i had to choose diversion instead of outright dismissal so i've been having to send in forms every month uh making sure i haven't gotten trouble and i have to do that for 12 months before they'll outright dismiss it so it's like a probation time or uh i guess you would call it that uh i don't have any restriction other than i just had to send in that form right have you had any contact with austin daly since that time i have not i have not um you know i definitely i I received some great advice from my family and friends not to look at look up my name on google (laughs) and i finally did about a month ago and i realized he went on podcasts and he went on different sites and there's all this just crazy news and that was a month ago uh, but I had no contact with him 
through this, and maybe prior to this, uh, the birth of Broken Arrow Foundation was created, offering intentional acts of kindness. And this is a really exciting thing, Luke, that you are the CEO of the Broken Arrow Foundation. Tell me about this foundation. Now, this all started when I was 10 years old. Uh, I've always had a dream of of glorifying God with a platform, but I always want to help people. That's what really makes me happy is helping people. And when I was 10 years old on Christmas Eve, I was watching YouTube videos of people doing random acts of kindness. And I I asked my father, I said, hey, would you like to do this? He said, yeah. He said, what do you want to do? I said, let's go fill up someone's vehicle with gas. So we went to the local gas station and we started circling the gas station looking like weirdos, you know, had the window rolled down (laughs) staring at people. And we were trying to wait on the Holy Spirit to identify who to approach. So after about four rounds around the gas station, an old car pulled up and said, hey, that's it. So we got out and uh, my father approached him and an old lady got out and he said, ma'am, can can we buy your gas tonight? What? You want to buy my gas? (laughs) He said, yes, ma'am. And then at this time, her friend uh, got out of the car and said, "Uh, Pearl, what that man saying to you? And he said, he want to buy my gas. So she said, yeah, absolutely. And my dad started pumping and he saw that her tags on her license plate was from a different county an hour, two hours away. And he asked her, are y'all doing Christmas shopping? Why did y'all come down here? And she said, oh, no, baby, we we drove an hour, hour and a half just because gas is two cents cheaper, but we're getting it free tonight. So that's where it all started. And over the past decade, I've been trying to develop with my, my family uh, ideas and trying to put together some type of foundation based on helping people, but not just helping them, but helping them spiritually. Because yeah. there's a lot of foundations out there, but what would make us different and what makes us different is Jesus. Well, well why Broken Arrow? Why the name? So when all this happened in Kansas, uh, uh, actually a few weeks before it, we went to Kansas, we were trying to find a name for the foundation. We went to Kansas and all this happened. And the same week when we got back, uh, I approached my dad uh, and I asked him, I said, how do you feel? He said, I'm not doing good. How are you feeling? I said, I feel, I feel vulnerable. I feel lost. He said, this reminds me of a movie called We Were Soldiers. Mel Gibson's the lead actor. Colonel Hal Moore is who he, he represents. And true story about Vietnam War. Mel Gibson is sitting there. And there's a, there's a moment in the film where they're being overrun by the enemy and they're going to die. And when you're in those situations, there's a call you don't want to make, but you have to make it. It's called broken arrow. It's when all the surrounding air support comes in and blows everything up. And that's what he did. He called broken arrow and, and good guys died. It really happened. And he said, Luke, in this moment, you need to call broken arrow and you call broken arrow by calling on Jesus. And that's where the name came from. And what's crazy is we actually stopped on June 14th coming home during the 10-hour drive in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to eat at Logan's <laughs> Roadhouse. Uh, and one guy, that family friend, he texted my father after he found out the name, and he said, Oliver, on June 14th, I was working, and I received a text from an article. I looked up. I was on Broken Arrow Road or Broken Arrow Street. And there's just a lot of signs uh, about that, and that's kind of where the name started. <laughs> I love that, Luke. I love that. Well, uh, another venture, cross-examination. You've engaged in this, and tell me something about this. Yeah, it's uh, just kind of a blog I've kind of put together. I've been working on different topics to write about. It's something I do on my own free time. Right now, I've just had my official statement on there, but it's definitely something I think uh, just to write about You know, different topics. Um, 
just from a from a biblical perspective, especially like what happened in my life as yeah. far as suffering and persecution yeah. and yeah. trials and how to overcome that. Wow, that's great, Luke. So how does Broken Arrow play out practically day to day? Yeah, um, it's something that the mission is to intentionally impact individuals spiritually. But really what it is, it's it's pulling people out of the mud. It's helping people who are in those situations where they have to call a broken arrow. People who are broken, who are, per- are hurting and want to end it all. We go out, we find those people, we help them by showing them love. But then we direct them where to go, such as a church. And we, we had that gospel conversation with them. So we had our first organizational meeting a couple a couple months ago. And I, we've put together an incredible board of directors. And we're just taking you know baby steps day by day. But I will say this, and this is what confirmed it for me. The following day, June 15th, when we got back, we went to pump gas. And there was a man who looked at me and said, hey, do you mind pumping my gas for me? I can't afford the gas. And that's what confirmed it. I realized, wow, okay, God, you removed me from this college. You removed me. You, you really had the refiner's fire. You put that on me. You burned away everything. You know, I mentioned when I was younger, I was very prideful, all about me. He burned all that away. And, he, and I realized, hey, life's not about me. It's about him. Wow. And that was confirmation. It all started at 10 when I pumped, we pumped the, the woman's gas. And then the day after we got back, the man asked if I could pump his gas. So I looked at my father. I said, broken arrow is what God's called me to do, <laughs> and we're going to do it. Oh, Luke, this is great. There's a website, and it's uh, LukeGSmith.com. It has paths to your blog, uh, future podcast, and about the foundation. Yes, yes. How do you want to interact with our listeners? How do you want them to know more about Broken Arrow or how cross-examination, your blogs, uh, through the website? Yeah, through the website. So we're going to develop a website for Broken Arrow specifically. But right now, since we're still just taking baby steps, uh, all the information about Broken Arrow will be on my website at LukeGSmith.com. You can go to the tab on there, and then you can read just updates on the blog and et cetera. You know, look, I opened with a verse out of Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In this life, we can face some crazy things, trials, tribulations, storms, mm-hmm. false accusations, and yet God can take all of the mess That's right. of these things that happen in our life and cause them to work together for those who love him called according to his purpose. His purpose ultimately is to glorify the Son. We can do that by being surrendered to him. Like you said, it's not about us. It is about him. It's about him. It's about him. It is about him. Well, thank you so much for taking time to share the story. I'd like to extend the invitation for you as this work continues to have you come back and even to tell stories, bring maybe people in that Broken Arrow has seen exceed spiritually and moving forward in their life, Yes, we can bring those stories and share here on Mid-South Viewpoint. I would love that. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Be sure and download the Bot Radio Network mobile app to listen on demand to this show and previous Mid-South Viewpoint shows. As always, thanks for making Bot Radio Network a part of your life.